The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. started Deuteronomy, and my heart was captivated because Deuteronomy is not just a second reiteration of the law. I had completely forgotten that Deuteronomy is just this this passionate call from Moses on the character of God, God and who he is, God and his love for his people, God and, and what it is for him to reach out and grab hold of an insignificant, unworthy people and make them his own and pour out his heart of love, what that means for their hearts and for their love, so that just again and again I found my heart just rejoicing and, and I read Deuteronomy a number of times in a, in a short period. And, and so I, I'm excited to come to Deuteronomy with you and, and I think together we'll find that Deuteronomy is a book that captures the character of God, the love of God, and the call of God to his people in a unique way. You know, I think Deuteronomy is not only a powerful testimony to the character of God, it's also an incredibly important book uh, just in, in the history of salvation and in Scripture itself. Uh, I, I was reading a number of commentators uh, on it this week, and one of them said, you know, the author of Ecclesiastes said that the making of books, there is no end. And he said he could have penned that just by reading commentaries on Deuteronomy. Because so much has been written about the book of Deuteronomy. And it seems like most of these commentators wanted to outdo each other in stating how important the book of Deuteronomy was. I was reading one commentator and he said, Deuteronomy is the linchpin of the whole Old Testament. Another commentator said, Deuteronomy is the culmination of the Pentateuch and it throws the shadow of its theological perspective on the rest of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, says another commentator, Deuteronomy has had more influence on the rest of the Bible than any other book. Says another commentator, Deuteronomy lies close to the very heartbeat of Scripture. Again and again, these commentators start out by reminding us or pointing out to us that this book is is a cornerstone to understand really all of the theology of the Old Testament. What are, what, are the, what are the kings doing in the historical books? What are the prophets talking about? Deuteronomy with its laws and its promises and its curses influenced Israel's kings and Israel's worship immensely. The prophets come back again and again to the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy as they warn and call the people. Um, Josiah, you may remember that King Josiah finds the book of the law in the temple and leads to a number of reforms. And just about every commentator that I read said, noting the reforms Josiah makes, they have specific parallels in the book of Deuteronomy. And most people think that something related to Deuteronomy or at the core of Deuteronomy or perhaps something very much like what we have in Deuteronomy is what was found there. Um, you, you might think uh, of the New Testament. Deuteronomy is either directly quoted or paraphrased in 21 of the 27 New Testament books. Uh, it's directly quoted or paraphrased over 80 times. 
uh, and probably rivals uh, Psalms and Isaiah for the most looked-to book in the New Testament. You might remember Jesus himself. Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan. And in response to Satan's temptation, what does Jesus do? Well, he quotes Scripture. And all three times, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. It's interesting, Deuteronomy, again, whether we're talking about Old Testament or New Testament, Deuteronomy is is at the heart of, of Scripture and its theology. So perhaps maybe the best thing we could say about Deuteronomy is that Deuteronomy offers us an opportunity to study a foundational revelation from God about His character about his love for and desire for his people, and about how he has worked then in history uh, in the lives of his people. So Deuteronomy, I'm excited to get started. Tonight we're going to look at just the first few verses by way of introduction. So if you would turn to Deuteronomy, I want to read the first eight verses, which I think begin to bring out a number of facts about this book, as well as key themes about this book. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter 1. Verses 1 through 8. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him and commandment to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtoreth and in Edre. Beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, and in the lowland, and the Negev, and by the sea coast, in the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land, the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. Let's pray. God, this is your word. It is words that you have given to your people. You gave these words to your people, Israel, and you have written your words now uh, for, for the benefit of your people today. I pray that your spirit would speak through them, and would encourage our hearts, and point us more and more to the character of the awesome God who deserves all our praise in all of our lives. I pray this in your name. Amen. Tonight I have basically two goals, two questions uh, to, to answer, if you will. First, what is the book of Deuteronomy? What is this book that we have here? What are some facts about this book that will help us uh, know what we're reading as we go through? And then second, what are the key themes of the book of Deuteronomy? As it turns out, the key themes are all found here in the first few verses. So what is this book of Deuteronomy? What are key facts? Well, we start right off with a key fact that these are the words of Moses if we want to consider the authorship of the book of Deuteronomy. And it's interesting if you think maybe particularly of New Testament books, but also a number of the Old Testament uh, prophetic books. Many books start off stating who the author is. Paul, the author, or Jonah, uh, the author. 
Deuteronomy tells us three times, tells us three times, these are the words that Moses spoke. In the 40th year on the first day, Moses spoke. Then beyond the Jordan, Moses undertook to explain. Over and over again, we see Moses is speaking to his people. If we want to know who's speaking, who's writing, who is this book from, we're told again and again, right up front, that Moses is the one uh, speaking. And this is going to occur throughout the book. Throughout the book, we'll be told a number of more times that, that Moses addressed the people or spoke to the people. Of course, it's, it's uh, I think, almost goes without saying that there's editorial work uh, involved in bringing Moses' speeches together. We'll see at the end of the book uh, an account of Moses' death. And while we could say that Moses sort of um, uh, foretold the details of his death, I think it makes more sense to say uh, that a, an editor collecting Moses' speeches uh, added the note at the end uh, about Moses' death. So, yes, there's, there's editorial work, but the core of this book, the core of the book of Deuteronomy, seems to be uh, speeches, uh, probably three speeches that Moses gave uh, to the people of Israel before they entered uh, the Promised Land. Of course, there are many uh, who, would, who would reject the idea that Moses authored this book. Um, again, we've talked about the fact that Deuteronomy plays a significant role in shaping the kingship and the worship of Israel even centuries after the time of Moses. And uh, not only that, but there are things that, that Deuteronomy foretells. The things that Deuteronomy foretells. Um, it talks about the coming of a, a, another prophet like Moses. It talks about uh, Moses' certainty that Israel will disobey God and will be punished for it. And so there are many who would say, well, look, uh, Moses wouldn't have known for sure what was going to happen. So this was probably written a lot later when people already knew what was going to happen in Israel and, and they just attributed it back to Moses. There are many who would say that, but I think uh, we, can, we can quickly reject that, uh, that, that viewpoint. And one of the uh, one of the primary arguments, and I find this, uh, I think, ironic. I think you can see the irony of this. One of the primary arguments that that Deuteronomy would come from a different author of Exodus is that there are some laws, some particular laws, that are said one way in Exodus that are then said differently in Deuteronomy, or maybe applied differently. There's there's different requirements for some of the same things in Deuteronomy as there was in Exodus, and so. These scholars would say, well, look, clearly, different time period, different author, because some of these laws have been changed. But if we note the different context that uh, in Exodus, some of these particular sacrificial laws were given to a people who were wandering and who would be wandering with a, with a tent, a place of worship that would be wandering with them. And almost every single difference in the laws that Deuteronomy gives uh, reflects the fact that now these people will be living stationary spread out in a land in different tribes with one place of permanent worship in that, in, that, uh, in that land. And that one difference of no longer a wandering people, but a people who have inherited a land with a place God names for his worship, that one difference can explain quite a few, if not all, of the, the, the differences in the laws. Uh, there's, there's other uh, examples, but I think just um, that is one uh, good example of how a lot of the arguments against the, the authorship of Moses uh, just don't take account to specific uh, situations behind the book of Deuteronomy. And I think uh, as many commentators, almost all of the conservative commentators I would, would read would be in universal agreement that there is no good argument against Moses' essential authorship unless we want to throw that out at the very beginning uh, of our consideration. 
You know, these, these, uh, so the first thing we hear uh, in, about the book of Deuteronomy, the first fact is that it is essentially the words that Moses spoke to the people of Israel uh, on the uh, other side of the Jordan from the promised land. There's a second thing um, that is much less obvious because it's not said specifically uh, in, in words, um, but it's something about the structure that we learn about Deuteronomy right here in these first few verses. One of the most significant uh, evidences that Moses was indeed the author of this book actually comes from the structure of the book itself. Deuteronomy is set up in a pattern or a structure that closely resembles treaties. Uh, Some of you may have heard of a suzerain treaty, which was a treaty that was made between a lord and his servants or vassals. It was a treaty between a superior and inferiors. And we have many uh, examples of these treaties that were made uh, in the ancient Near East that archaeologists have dug up. We've got a plethora of them that we can look at. And what strikes just about uh, in any of the commentators and those who look at, at the treaties and archaeology and Deuteronomy is that they follow a close structure. There's a very similar structure between Deuteronomy and these treaties. But, as it turns out, through history, the structure of the treaties changed. So in 2000 B.C., the treaties were not structured in the same way as they were in, say, 1200 B.C. And they weren't exactly structured then in the same way as they were in 500 B.C. So there's changes in how these treaties were structured, and there's, there's great commonality at a, at a given time. Well, as it turns out, Deuteronomy shares the characteristics of the treaties we have found in archaeology from about 1400 to 1200 B.C., the time of Moses. And it actually does not share the characteristics of treaties that were, we found from uh, later, say, 600 or 800 B.C. So um, one of the interesting uh, uh, evidences that Moses is indeed the author here is that the structure of Deuteronomy matches the structure of other treaties that we found from the same historical time period. And it doesn't match treaties found before and after that time period. So I think the, the second thing that we, we learn here, and this is a, uh, and certainly a, a testimony to Moses' authorship, but we learn that Deuteronomy is actually structured just like the treaties that were made between lords and their vassals, uh, or a superior and an inferior at this time in history. Almost all of the treaties that we have found uh, from this time period basically go through five parts. These treaties start with a prologue or an introduction. That's what we've read tonight. A prologue or an introduction. Who's writing this? Where, where were they when it was written? These are questions of prologue or introduction, and we read the prologue or introduction tonight, at least a portion of it. The second part is uh, sort of a, a brief historical review, a historical prologue that traces the history of the relationship between the superior and the inferior. And as you'll see, if you f- flip through even just the, uh, the titles of the sections of the next couple chapters of Deuteronomy, you'll see that after this introduction... Moses is going to go through a historical prologue. He's going to take them through Israel's refusal to enter the land and their punishment and their wanderings in the wilderness and God's defeat of Sihon and Og. So that's what we get here. Uh, Introduction, then a brief recounting of history leading up to this time period. The third thing that you get in these treaties is the stipulations, the commands or the laws, the specific requirements that the parties would have to abide by. And sure enough, we get to chapter 5 in Deuteronomy and, and then a very good portion of Deuteronomy after that's giving some specific uh, laws, stipulations, or commandments. Again, Deuteronomy follows the structure. So introduction, historical summary or prologue, stipulations. Um, Then, fourthly, these treaties list blessings and curses 
for keeping the covenant or breaking the covenant. If you keep this treaty, this will happen. If you break this treaty, this will happen. And that's exactly what we get in Deuteronomy following the laws is a list of blessings and curses. If you obey the law, if you disobey the law. That's portion four. And then the last part, the fifth part, uh, it, the treaties generally close with a summary about witnessing the treaty, uh, taking oaths to verify the treaty, and setting up a time for publicly reading the treaty. And sure enough, in the end of Deuteronomy, we'll talk about how Moses says, when you get into the land, read this law here. There's public reading. It talks about witnesses uh, and oaths. So Deuteronomy specifically matches these five parts of these treaties. Introduction, historical prologue, stipulations, blessings and curses, uh, and then uh, publicly reading or, or witnessing the treaty. Now, why is this important? Well, first, I've already mentioned that it's important because this uh, Deuteronomy matches the treaties from the time of Moses, so it's an evidence of of its historicity. But second, I think it also helps us understand something of how God speaks to his people. God does not speak to his people by dropping golden plates out of the sky, clunking them down and saying, well, there you go, there's the word of God. It's unlike anything else anyone's ever heard of. God speaks to specific people in specific historical context, in specific times. He does, not, he does not speak in ways that are unlike every single other way that, uh, that people talk, but he enters in uh, to the, the culture and the context of his people. He speaks in the language of his people. He graciously enters into uh, the, the culture, the language, the form that they are used to. And so this, by speaking in a, in a uh, structure that the people would have understood. God is graciously entering into their context and saying, let me come and speak to you, to reveal myself to you in words, in structures, in terms that you understand. This is part of how God speaks to his people. And it's very different from, say, how the God of Islam would speak to his people or how others would expect uh, a God, this divine being, to just speak like no one else has spoken before. And certainly, of course, there's an authority to God's word just like Christ takes on human form, so God speaks in words that enter into human context. I think it says something about the character of our God. So key facts about Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is words spoken by Moses. It's in the structure of a treaty, and we're going to follow this structure as we work through Deuteronomy. The third thing that I just want to make sure we don't miss is that while Deuteronomy is in the shape of a treaty, and while it certainly is spoken by Moses, These opening verses of Deuteronomy tell us one more important thing, and that is that the book of Deuteronomy is not just the words of Moses. It is also the words of God. These are God's words. Although Moses is an intermediary, the one who is physically speaking to the Israelites, Deuteronomy is the very words of God himself, and the text emphasizes that again and again. You'll note uh, in verse 3, verse 3, it says that Moses spoke. How? according to all the words that the Lord God had given him in commandment. These are God's words that he's speaking. Or then again, you could look down at verse 6, 5 and 6. Moses undertook the law saying, the Lord our God said to us. These are the very words of God that Moses is passing on. So this is not just a great speech by Moses. This is Moses giving to Israel God's words. And it's giving to us God's words. I love how one commentator put it. He said, yes, this is a speech from Moses. But what the people needed most as they stood across from the promised land was not an eloquent speech or an attractive word. They needed a word from God. 
And Deuteronomy is the word from God. This is what we have here. Yes, it was spoken by Moses. Yes, it's in structure of a treaty. But these are God's words. And as God's words, these words are true and they cannot be wrong. These words give us a real picture of who God is because they're God's very words to us, telling us what He is like. It means that these words are promises that will be fulfilled and can be trusted. It means that these words are authoritative and they demand our attention and our obedience. And so we need to know as we come to the book of Deuteronomy that these are God's words spoken to His people. So this is what Deuteronomy is. It's a, it's a book of speeches from Moses in the form of a covenant treaty that establish a relationship between God and His people. Yes, delivered by Moses, but actually the very words of God. That's what Deuteronomy is. But in addition to telling us the facts about Deuteronomy, these first eight verses also introduce us to the key themes of the book. Think of these first eight verses maybe uh, almost like a, a movie trailer that's going to sort of advertise or give us, give us the summary of what's coming. It's also unlike a, a movie trailer, I think, because it, at least the last three times that I've been to a movie theater to see a movie, I've sat there in seat waiting for the movie to begin. The previews are showing before me. And every single time, I'm confident that I leaned over to whoever I was watching the movie with and said, is it possible that they could make worse movies? These, these trailers, if they wanted to make trailers that would scare me off from ever coming to see any of those movies, they did a great job. That's not the kind of trailer we're, we're looking for here. These first eight verses of Deuteronomy are going to give us a trailer, give us highlights, give us key themes that will grab our hearts and draw us in to what we are going to get in the rest of the book. So look with me at four key themes that we get brief glimpses of in these first eight verses that will then be played out throughout the book of Deuteronomy. First, these verses emphasize the guiding hand of the sovereign God over his people. Just look with me briefly through these eight verses and look how God is described and how what happens to Israel is described. In verse 3, we find that Moses is going to give to the people commandments, but the commandments are commandments that were given by God himself. These are the commandments that are from God that deliver God's will to his people. According to verse 4, we find out that God was the one who defeated Sihon and Og. It's not just that Israel won battles. We find out in verse 4 that he, God, is the one who defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. According to verse 5, Israel took a path from Horeb. Horeb is the same as Mount Sinai. From Horeb to the promised land. And we find out that the path that they took was directly dictated by God himself. God guided them along the path uh, from uh, Horeb to uh, where they are. Um, That's in verses uh, 6 and 7 particularly. Sorry, you've stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take this journey. And he tells them the exact route to go. God is the one who had promised the land. Here they are standing across from the promised land. Why are they there? Because God was the one who promised it for them. And how do they expect they're going to get it? Because God is the one who's going to give it to them. 
See, in verse after verse, whether we're talking about laws and commandments, whether we're talking about the path that Israel takes in their wanderings, whether we're talking about the promised land, battles that are won, whatever we're talking about, these verses tell us it's God who's doing it. These are God's words, God's directions, God's acts on behalf of his people. Everything that happens in these first eight verses is due to the will of God, to the awesome sovereign power of God. It is God who chooses his people, sets his love on his people, fights and wins battles for his people, displays power and glory for his people, walks and guides his people, gives good laws to his people. As we'll hear in later in Deuteronomy, he's the one who sets and determines kings and priests and places of worship for his people. He's the one who initiates covenant relationship with his people. Everything is done by God. It is God, the sovereign Lord, who is in control and who is leading all things. This is behind every verse in these first eight verses here. God's sovereign leading and guiding. And as we go through Deuteronomy, this is what we're going to see. And this is one of the most glorious parts of Deuteronomy. Because the character of God, his power, his sovereignty, his walking with his people, his entering into relationship with his people, his calling to his people, his giving his will and his word to his people, is one of the most glorious parts of this book. And it's all reflected Albeit under the surface, perhaps, it's all reflected in these first few verses. I love what one of the commentators said. He says, It is important that Israel remember that all things have unfolded in their history so far according to the plan and decree of God because they define who Israel is as a people. The very nature and being of Israel are rooted in their call and election by Yahweh, the sovereign covenant making God. Israel's identity comes from who God is and what God has done. And so all throughout this book, as they prepare to go into the promised land, we're going to be reminded about the character of God and who God is. This is what Deuteronomy will do. So get ready. In trailer number one, we are about to unfold a book of the character and power and sovereign love of God. Second, these verses introduce us to another key theme, the importance of the promised land in Deuteronomy. You cannot read through the book of Deuteronomy and see how closely everything that Moses says is tied to the land, the promised land. Here in verse 8, God says, as Moses is speaking, Moses is delivering God's words, he says, See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers. Everything that's to come in the book of Deuteronomy is set in the context of the land, the promised land. I think this can be difficult for us maybe to grasp why this is so important or why Deuteronomy would so be tied to the land because I think it's hard for us sometimes to enter into the mindset of Israel as they stood on the edge of the promised land. What would it be like to be an Israelite standing on the edge of the Jordan River looking across into the promised land? Sometimes I think, you know, as I sort of, well, what was this like? What's a parallel? And I think, well, you know, maybe, maybe it was like, well, I lived in one place and God said, well, I've got a better place for you to live. Here, come live in a better place. And that's maybe how I picture of it. But that does not do justice to the significance of the promised land. That doesn't, that doesn't help us really enter into what the promised land was for Israel. Think about it. Think about the history of God's promise to Israel about this land. 
We think that this uh, book of Deuteronomy took place probably around 1400 uh, B.C., somewhere in that time frame. Mo- or if you go back to Abraham, probably 600 years earlier, and here is God saying to Abraham, 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 I'm going to promise you a land. This land will be for you and your descendants. That was 600 years ago. And here is Abraham who leaves his homeland to go to this promised land. But when Abraham dies, the only piece of the promised land he owns is his six feet for burial. Where's this promise? And then the promise is reiterated to Isaac and Jacob. But Isaac and Jacob, think of Jacob, he wandered all over the place. And then Jacob had to leave this land because a famine led him to leave. And then for 430 years, here are the people of Israel. They've been promised this land, this this land flowing with milk and honey. And here they are in slavery. They're stuck in slavery in Egypt. Where's this promise of a land? For generation after generation, century after century, here's Israel looking to this promise, wondering, when is it going to come? What is this land of milk and honey? We're slaves in Egypt. And then finally, God brings them out of Egypt when probably they least expected. We know no one expected it because they said, well, who is this God you're talking about? And he got, brings them out of Egypt and brings them to the, the edge of the promised land and Israel disobeys and they've got to leave that promised land and wander for 40 more years. Can you imagine the state of this people, Israel, the mindset as they stood on the edge of this land and this land doesn't just represent a new and better place. This land represents the fulfillment of everything they and their fathers have looked for for 600 years through wandering, through slavery, through disobedience. This land is not just a new home. It's hope itself. It's freedom. It's, it's rest. It's the fulfillment of the promises of God that they have trusted in. I want us to understand why this land was so significant and why standing on the edge of the promised land Everything that Moses said is predicated on receiving this inheritance that had been the hope and the dream of Israel for century after generation. I think the only close parallel that perhaps we can have is our own longing for heaven and the presence of God. And I I know that many of you have lived a a long life. Many of you have lived a long life that has been full of, of suffering or pain or hardship. And I know because I've talked to some of you in the gathering space afterwards who have said, you know, I just can't wait to be in heaven if only God would take me to be with Him soon. And I think we see something in that statement of of the longing that must have filled Israel. We are on the edge of glorious rest, joy, and hope forever. It's all-consuming goodness. It's what we have waited for and longed for. And here is the yearning of the people of Israel ready to enter this rest. This rest that Hebrews will tell us the rest they were longing for is in fact a foreshadowing of the rest that we look for with God himself. Maybe we, maybe as another picture we might look back to, to Canaan or uh, to the, to Eden, to, to the original garden, this original land where Adam and Eve had rest and peace and joy as God walked with them and they were in relationship and fellowship with God. As they stand on the edge of the promised land, they're thinking back to what we had in Eden, what we look ahead to having in heaven. It is the land of God and fellowship with God is all the fulfillment of the promise of God. That's the land. And so as we read through Deuteronomy, God has much to say about this land, that the land is His, that the land is His gift to His people. 
that this land comes with tremendous blessing if Israel obeys. But Deuteronomy also has to tell the people, this land is God's land. This is his gift to live in relationship with him. And so disobedience, rejection of God, will also come with being rejected from the land and being thrown out of the land. So we need to understand the importance of the land and all that would have been on the hearts and minds of Israel, but also how closely the land is tied to God in fellowship with God. So that as we see the blessings and the curses about Israel and the land and their inheritance in it, it is directly tied to Israel and their relationship with God. It's His land. We're called into rest and joy and hope that come in relationship with Him. And so everything that's said about the land will come in that context. So, looking ahead to Deuteronomy, we're going to hear much about the character of God. We're also going to hear much about the land, and we have to understand the significance of the land if we're going to understand that. Third, third, and closely connected to the land, verse 3 emphasizes that the key content that we're going to get in this book is God's commandments. It says here, Moses spoke to, uh, to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord, God, uh, Lord had given him in commandment. So, laws. Rules, commandments, that's going to be a central theme of the book of Deuteronomy. We have a lot of laws and commandments coming uh, ahead of us. And as we work through this book, one of the things we want to ask is, well, what is God's law? What is the purpose of God's law? Why do we have all of these laws? Why are these laws important and what do they call us to do? As we think about the law, we need to, to have a few things in mind. One of the things that we need to remember is that the law is God's will. In other words, the laws that we get are giving us a reflection of who God is. The character of God and the will of God come to us through the rules and the laws that he gives us. And one of the wonderful things we'll be able to see is that God doesn't just give us a commandment and say, do this. We do have some rules that seem that simple, but he also gives us many reasons. And we see the character of God and the work of God behind these rules. These rules, these commandments will show us the character of God the will of God, what is important to God. I think it's important for us to know, too. I was reading, uh, actually listening to uh, Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp has a book and DVD series called Forever, in which he talks about our longing for heaven, our relationship with God forever. And one of the things that Paul Tripp says in that book is he says, look, if we want to dwell with God forever, we should start right now making God's values our values what God longs for, what we long for. What God thinks is important, what we think is important. It's a great point. So how might we begin to say, well, what does God value? What does God think is important? How does God want things to to play out? What is God's will for us? Well, His laws and His commandments will be one key way for us to know. What does God think is important? What does He value? What does He hate? What does He love? And so these laws that we're going to receive are going to give us a picture of who God is and what he loves and will help us love what God loves and hate what God hates. But in addition, I think these laws that God gives are significant because the laws play a key role in God's relationship with his people. Law is key to relationship. Obedience to God's law enables the relationship between God and his people to flourish. Break the law and God's presence in the land and his relationship with lawbreakers will end. Now this is going to be, this is going to be an important thing for us to, to follow as we walk through Deuteronomy. Because one thing we will notice throughout Deuteronomy, yes, 
God will remind us that He is a God who has mercy. But so much of Deuteronomy is very conditional. Obedience yields blessing. Disobedience yields curses. There is a real condition that Israel is going to live and play out in their relationship with God based on their obedience to His law. One commentator said it this way. He said, God's giving of the land also requires a response from Israel. Possessing the land in the first place and keeping it then in the second are both tied to Israel's obedience to God's commands. This theme of conditionality runs through Deuteronomy. It runs through Deuteronomy's summary of the law and its promise of the land. We, we love to emphasize, and rightly so, the grace of forgiveness and mercy of God in Christ Jesus. That is good to emphasize. Scripture emphasizes that. But we also need to hear the call to obedience, the conditional call to obedience. And Deuteronomy is going to deliver that. It is going to call us to that. And we need to understand that the law does come with blessings and curses. The will of God comes with blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. So we'll be tracing out as we go through Deuteronomy, what does law and what does grace look like? What is the conditionality here? What are the blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience? And it will come back to our relationship with God. The law. So here we have the character of God. We have the land. And we have the law. And the law the law is important. The law part is what we tend to skip over, right? When I'm reading Deuteronomy, what's my tendency? It's to read the couple chapters at the beginning that I like and then skip the laws. It reminded me as I was preparing tonight of uh, the time not too long ago when I sat in the prep room at Laser Dome with 30 elementary and middle school students. And I'm sitting in the prep room. We're about to go play laser tag. And you have to sit through three minutes of rules about laser tag. And of course, here's 29 other people in the room, all the middle schoolers and junior hires. They are totally freaking out about the fact that they have a laser gun that's going to shoot with a huge pack on them, and they're about to battle it out in black lights. How much of the rules are they listening to? Zero. In fact, they don't even pretend. I heard things like, oh, I've been through this before. I don't need to listen to this. Uh, I heard things like, ah, they wouldn't really kick me out of here. I'm not going to listen. I heard uh, just total distraction. They couldn't have even talked about what they listened because they were totally distracted. Who needs rules when you're about to play laser tag? But then comes the final, the final second of the video, which says, keeping these rules is for your fun and for your safety. Failure to abide by these rules will result in being removed from the game. And I couldn't help but think of myself as I thought about Deuteronomy here and thought about how easily distracted I am from paying any attention to the laws of God. And yet here is the law of God reminding me the same thing that the video at LaserDome was going to remind me. Keeping these rules is essential for your good and for your safety. And failure to abide by these rules may result from your removal from the land. That's the picture that we have here. Law and land. Well, finally and very briefly, we have the character of God, the land that we're entering, the law of God. Finally, Deuteronomy is very much going to emphasize the promises of God. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 is all about promise. I have set before you the land, so go in and take it. That is a promise of God. 
And that promise of God is based on another promise that God had made. God has already promised this land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, Deuteronomy is on the one hand a fulfillment of God's promise that he has already made, and it is also full of promises that God will keep. So God's promises are a key theme that we need to go look at as we go through Deuteronomy. And the thing that we need to remember is that the character of God that Deuteronomy is going to emphasize is important for us as we listen to the promises of God. We have solid hope in the promises that God makes because we trust his character. And we rightly fear the curses of God because we trust his character. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about some parenting. And I was thinking about a couple of conversations I've had with students over the last couple of years. I was thinking of one student who said to me in the course of a conversation about his summer, oh yeah, my dad said we're going to the beach this summer. And he said it almost with a tone of disappointment. And I said, well, wow, that sounds great to go to the beach this summer. And he said, yeah, it would be, but it won't happen. My dad's always saying things, but we never really do them. You see what that means? Hope in promises depends upon the character of the one who makes that promise. I was thinking about another conversation with a student. Two students were talking about how one of them had disobeyed, and the other said, man, you're going to be in big trouble, aren't you? And the student said, ah, nah, I'll just wait for the right time. My parents often talk about consequences, but I can usually get out of them. Fear of consequences depends upon the character of the one who promises it. And so as we work through Deuteronomy, we're going to get promises of blessing and promises of cursing. And the promise, the hope that we have in promise, and also the warning of these promises will all come back to the character of our God. Deuteronomy is God, the one who cannot lie, setting forth heavenly blessing and devastating consequences for Israel's decisions and then also for ours. And so our attitude toward God will be a key for our attitude toward these promises. As one commentator put it, there is no doubt about God keeping his promises. Yes, we do have a problem. We often lose hope. We often give up on God. We try to get what we want by another route. So we need to be reminded in the book of Deuteronomy as we need to be reminded over and over again about the promises of God. When God first spoke to Abraham, he promised him a large nation coming from him, a land and being a blessing. And in Deuteronomy, all three of those are going to be fulfilled if Israel will obey their God. Here Israel is now a large nation. They are now entering the land that they might be a blessing to those around them. God is faithful to his promises. And because God is faithful to his promises, we need to take seriously the hope and blessings of obedience as well as the consequences of disobedience. So God's promises is the last key theme of Deuteronomy. Tonight, what I hope is that we've put a brief spotlight on the glorious truths of Deuteronomy. The character of God, the land that God offers, the law of God and its significance, and the promise of God based on his character. And I hope that that this is a trailer that whets our appetite. It whets our appetite to come back to God's word so we can learn more about his character, more about his promises, more about his will, his law, his calling for his people. Because we can say this, law, land, promise, all of these are rooted in a covenant relationship that the almighty, all-glorious God has established with his people. So this is where we're headed. And perhaps I could just close with this invitation. I'm excited to share with you in these nourishing words 
that proceed from the mouth of God. And as Deuteronomy itself points out, this feast is going to be far more nourishing than any mere feast of food that we could ever enjoy together. So look forward to months in this feast of God's Word.